just imagine finding out that you'd been separated from your sibling that you were with in the womb for nine months, 10 months, and then the first six months of your life, and then separated for an experiment and a, and a uh, research experiment that never was released, was never, no conclusions came from it. Basically, they said it ended in the early 80s when the three brothers kind of, you know, had their big media explode. Yeah. And they were probably like, oh, shoot, well, how many other sets of twins are going to find each other? And somebody in the documentary brought that up, too. They had said, there are probably still twins out there that don't even know about each other. At least four individuals is what one of the research assistants said. episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie. And my name is Allison. Today we are taking on something we haven't done since the very first episode, which is a documentary. Um, Not a docu-series like the Ted Bundy tapes was, but a documentary. It is available on Hulu. It actually came out in, um, I would assume, limited release last year, but it was recently made available on Hulu. It is called Three Identical Strangers, and it is about a set of triplets, Eddie, Bobby, and David, that found each other in the 1980s and realized that they had been separated at birth. So this film goes over the entire story of how first Bobby heading to community college in upstate New York, and uh, it being kind of a case of mistaken identity in Mm -hmm. a way everybody there recognizes him and is giving him hugs and saying we're so happy you're back um, only to find out that everyone thinks that he is Eddie his twin Bobby went to this college when he was 19 so Eddie must have gone there right out of high school and was deciding to not come back I assume and so that's why everyone had said oh we're so glad you're back and then one of Eddie's friends who was also in the documentary said like they, they called him on a payphone, I think. And Bobby was just like, hey, everyone thinks I'm you. And they drive, you know, a couple hours out of the way to go meet each other. And it's like this very magical moment. You know, they have the same mannerisms. They look the same. They talk the same. And it's, it's a really amazing experience at first. They're so happy and confused. I mean, I would be. But, uh, but, a, but a wonderful moment and then it kind of the story kind of blows up into these two brothers who you know separated at birth twins who met and that's where David comes in and he must have seen in the paper the story and reaches out to I think it's Eddie's mom and calls him up and says I think I'm the third yes which saying that now (laughs) literally gives me chills it is the craziest thing of all time and the story itself you know at this time they are just so happy Mm -hmm. to have met one another and they're so excited and it's wonderful they go on a huge press tour they are on late night television shows Mm -hmm. they're doing all of this you know there's a media frenzy around they were in a movie too yes they were madonna with madonna which is so funny 
and everyone, you know, they're 19 years old. They're having fun. They end up getting an apartment in the city, in New York City, and they're just out on the town all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. they say, uh, you know, booze and partying and women and and all these things. They're just having, you know, a really great, amazing, wonderful time. And you see pictures of them together when they were at this stage, and it's so – sweet but it's also sad when you know you find out what happens to them Um, they spend a lot of time together in their early 20s and the parents of all three of these boys are very upset Mm -hmm. but the boys are kind of just like oh you know we're not thinking about that like yeah we were separated at birth but we were just happy we found each other and all the parents are like well I didn't know that my son was a triplet Mm -hmm. and David's dad who uh, was an immigrant Bobby and David both say, you know, loved all of the boys like they were his own and they were all very close and he was kind of the glue that kept them all together. He had even said, if I had known, in the adoption agency, Louise Wise said when, when the parents came to meet with them and were like, "What? please explain what happened, had said, well, you know, we figured that it would be really hard for somebody to take on three babies. And so that's why we separated them. And David's father said, Absolutely not. I would have taken all three of them in a heartbeat if I had known. And not to say that the other two sets of families wouldn't have, but they all kind of didn't feel like they got any answers, like they didn't feel right. And I think it was Eddie's dad who left something. An umbrella. Yeah, an umbrella. And he went back in and they were like toasting each other. Breaking open a bottle of champagne and, you know, kind of wiping their brow like we got away with something and that's when they kind of start to dig a little bit deeper dig a little bit deeper into what really went on and this adoption agency Louise Wise it's no longer around anymore but it was kind of the quintessential adoption agency for Jewish Mm -hmm. orphans or babies um, in the New York area and if you're not familiar, there is a huge Jewish population yes. um, in New York, not only in Manhattan, all the boroughs around it, and, um, you know, all the, you know, far reaches of New York State, especially on the East Coast. So, um, first of all, it's, you know, it, it was intentional that they separated mm-hmm. these children. And first off, it's crazy that they would think that people who only lived a few hundred miles from each other would never have mutual friends. You know, you think about six degrees of separation. Right. Obviously, they were going to meet. You know, it's kind of crazy. Unless they were on different sides of the country, then it's more unlikely. But especially now that we have social media, it's it's insane to think that right. these people would would never meet. These boys were born in the 60s, and so when they met, it was uh, 1980. So yeah, you know, things like social media, things like that didn't exist. They all went to different high schools, and it just was circumstance that Bobby and Eddie ended up going to the same college, even if it wasn't at the same time. Um, But it definitely shows that Eddie was, he had a personality that people remembered, and because of his charismatic personality and all the friends that he made is a big part of why these boys met in the first place. But they find out, you know, the boys start to, you know, they want to find their birth mother. I think it was David who kind of like launched that, you know, I want to meet our birth mother. They found out that she got pregnant on prom night and was young, could not take care of the three babies. It was really, really hard for her to give them up. I know it wasn't an easy decision to make, but they met with her 
and you know they're at that age where they're drinking and partying and uh, she was I think they were 21 about and she was 40 and And she was drinking right along with them like you know keeping up with them and I remember David saying like that's you know you don't really think about it at the time but you know that was kind of kind of a red flag for me um which comes up later when we learn more about this study. So in the documentary, we talk with a few different, um, you know, psychologists and journalists, people who, once they found out about the story, wanted to know why and wanted to get deeper and what was the purpose of separating these twins. And we find out very early on that on the surface, it was a study of adopted babies and what they go through, I guess, mentally and psychologically. And then all uh, the brothers start to explain, oh, you know, when I was little, I do remember people coming into my home and, you know, doing the inkblot test and them just watching everything that I do. And they got to a certain age where they said, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore. It felt really weird. And they said, all three of them said that they had really hard teen years and that they, they struggled a lot, I'm assuming, with maybe discipline or just, you know, went through a lot, uh, mentally in their teen years. And, uh, I believe it was Bobby. Was it Bobby who was involved or a suspect in a murder case? Yeah. And they, well. I, it, that was such a weird part of the documentary too. They're at just like this very lighthearted, uh, like press conference or something with all of these different people. Well, some woman in the audience just brings like it up. brought it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really like inappropriate yeah and even the host was kind of like uh you don't have to answer that if you don't want to but they do make a point you know you see these videos of them even at you know their homes you see pictures with them they're so identical truly they are and they focus so much and uh I know that Bobby brings this up they focus so much on their similarities Mm -hmm. that they don't even think about the differences they have which is truly the point of the study mm-hmm. that uh Peter Neubauer who kind of he was the one that was c- conducting all of these twin studies with the help of Louise Wise and essentially it was to find out the nature versus nurture and what right. changes happened you know if your DNA is exactly the same then what parts of you are going to be different based on who raised you. Right. And they specifically gave all three of these boys two families of different economical status. Eddie came from a very affluent family. He also had a very strict father, and that's kind of important. Uh, Bobby came from kind of middle class, uh, and then uh, David came from a blue-collar family, a family of immigrants. At least his father was, at least. They also all had an older sister, three years older. And we find out that, again, this adoption agency purposely put them with these families, meaning that they had been looking into these families for a while. And not just the families, but the parenting styles. Yeah. Which I can only assume that there were uh, lots of other candidates that were considered for these children, for these boys. And that, you know, this had to be something that they had either set up purposely or it was happened to work that way. You know, it's not like they could have predicted 
that there would be a woman who would have triplets that would happen to bring these children to their adoption agency. But what what also makes this a little bit sinister is that their birth mother of the boys had mental problems, severe mental problems, and that she had been institutionalized for a portion of her teenage years Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And it turns out that some of the boys did too. I know that David was institutionalized for a while when he he was in his teen years. And we also find out there's a little bit of a side story with another set of twins that had found each other as well, did not make as big of headlines, but also, you know, did a couple of press conferences, some interviews, uh, two women who also found out, you know, they both went to film school, they both had the same interests. And then when they dug a little bit deeper about their birth mother, they found out that she had mental problems as well. And I think that that was a huge part of this study was finding mothers who had had mental illness. And I'm assuming it had something to do with, you know, again, nature versus nurture. Do these children, is mental illness inherited? You know, can they inherit the same problems of their parents, even if their parents don't raise them, which as we probably already know and learn from this documentary is 100% true that Mm -hmm. it is inherited. And um, as the boys grow older, they all get married. Um, Eddie has a daughter named Jamie. And uh, they show some really sweet uh, photos and video footage. All of the wives talk about it's so cute. They're like, oh, I got, you know, I was the lucky one. Yeah, I, got, you know, the, I got this brother. The most handsome one. It was so sweet because, you know, they, they again, we're all very similar. But they also, you know, were all, you know, good men that these women loved and still, you know, are with and appreciate. And they decided to run a restaurant together called Triplets. And that's where things started to get a little hairy between them. And I think it was a family friend who had said that, you know, they didn't have 18, 19 years to argue and bicker like siblings do. They all of a sudden now are seeing these differences and seeing these these issues that they had as far as like work ethic and how, you know, each brother wanted to run the business. Eventually Bobby leaves Mm -hmm. and he said something in the documentary about how he felt like he was being pushed out. And Eddie was kind of the glue between the three. He was the heart of the trio, wanted everyone to be together, wanted this big happy family. And that kind of is important too, when you learn that he wasn't really close to this father, I think he really just wanted to have, these strong relationships with his brothers and their families and their kids. And when that all started to fall apart, he kind of also started to fall apart too. Mm -hmm. It's really, um, I I love the point about how they didn't know each other as children growing up and how to handle things. Because when you think about it, you know, I I have three sisters. Jamie has two sisters. Mm -hmm. You know, I fight with my siblings all the time. But you know what? I get over it because they're my siblings. You know, I've been with them since their first day on this planet. And we've had so many arguments. And, you know, you think, okay, at the end of the day, like, they are my siblings. We've been through so much together. But with them, they didn't have that. Right. And it's, you know, obviously they know they're related and and all that. But it's it's such an interesting dynamic. I can't imagine. It's just like a very close friend where sometimes you are at odds with one another as friends and that's kind of what they were they were super super close friends who happened to share the same dna right 
And the saddest part comes about a little bit more than halfway through the documentary. And you notice very early on that Eddie is not in this documentary at all. And they speak of him in the past tense. Yes. And so we find out that Eddie started to really suffer mentally. He started calling up like old friends and um, just had very weird behavior. And then they, you know, his family and friends started to realize he needs help. They uh, institutionalized him for a little bit. I think they said three weeks. And almost immediately after he gets out, he was scheduled to work, never came in. And another family friend came to check on him and found out that he had taken his life. And Bobby felt awful about it because, you know, not only was he not really close with his brothers anymore and he had left the business, uh, he kept saying, you know, why wasn't it me? Why was it Eddie? You know, this very happy, smiley, you know, charismatic guy why was it him that, you know, this, this illness took over and not me or not David. And so it was, was really hard on, on all of the families involved. And in the aftermath, I think is when they really started to learn more about the secrets of this, uh, of this, uh, their separation. Yeah. Of the experiment. And both the brothers come together the two surviving brothers come together in the documentary and kind of talk about they watched this clip from one of the original researchers and he had said he was only part of it for a few years he didn't know what happened to the experiment he didn't know what happened to the research after the fact but he was willing to talk about what he knew and what he saw and something really creepy that he said was you know it'd be so weird I'd be going to one kid's house and watching him and I would think I know your brother I just saw him like that's so creepy and weird and the fact that he said it was so hard for him to keep from saying that wouldn't for me that would be such like a a moral conflict Mm -hmm. that would be like just like anybody and knowing like a deep secret that affects their entire life and just having to pretend that it doesn't exist that's so awful think about the best example I can have is if you know that your best friend's significant other is like having an affair right and you have to like keep that secret that's a life-altering thing and they had to keep that secret for years and it's it's crazy and upon the brothers uh you know uh David and Bobby being brought together they show them this clip about um more about the adoption in that it wasn't just a coincidence that they all had a sister that was 21 years old when they met each other. It was by design in that the entire, um, you know, you you think about like the twin study and uh, the nature versus nurture and what they were really after were the parents and the parenting styles and how different ways parents bring up their children could affect them drastically whether they live or die in this in this particular situation and so Louise Wise had placed uh, daughters with each of these families and then so they knew a little bit about the parenting styles they didn't go into the details but I'm assuming that they did some regular follow-ups or met with these children and they hand-picked each of these families they they, the families in particular, you know, the the Gallons, the Kelmans, and the Shafrins didn't reach out to them specifically. The agency came to them and say, hey, we have this six-month-old baby boy. 
do you want them type of thing. So it was all by design, three very different families knowing that they have, you know, these mental issues and how is the mental issues, how, how would they manifest depending on the parenting styles, which to me, I was sobbing watching this. I can't even imagine the amount of guilt that Eddie's parents have Mm -hmm. because Eddie's dad says in one thing, you know, in one scene when they interview him, he says, maybe there's something I didn't teach him. And that, oh, it gut-wrenching. And it makes me think if I were a parent of a, of a child who, who died or committed suicide or, or even, you know, went off the tracks, is it necessarily my fault that I didn't teach them how to do it? If, you know, their sibling did one thing or, or any choice in their life, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very strange, but it also, this documentary makes you question nature versus nurture, how much of it is heritable, how much of it is our DNA, and how much of it is what our parents, how they raise us. David brought up a really good point towards the end. He said, you know, I've had my mental issues. And again, you know, we learned he was he was institutionalized. He said, but the, the reason that I'm here, one of the biggest reasons is because of my father. And he talks about how he had this amazing relationship with his father. His father was so loving and kind and cared for all of the boys. And um, and again, not that Eddie's father didn't love him, just how their relationship was in relation to who they were on the inside kind of contributed to the, you know, the end of his life. And the only reason David didn't go that route was because of how he was raised and the relationships that he had and just the loving relationship he had with his father. And that just broke my heart to hear that, to hear that, you know, and they even said too, after they watched the clip, like, I feel like a lab rat. I feel like my whole life was planned for me. Like they just imagine finding out that you'd been separated from your sibling that you were with in the womb for nine months, 10 months, and then the first six months of your life and then separated for an experiment and a, and a, uh, research experiment that never was released was never no conclusions came from it basically they said it ended in the early 80s when the three brothers kind of you know had their big media frenzy yeah and they were probably like oh shoot well how many other sets of twins are going to find each other and somebody in the documentary brought that up too they had said there are probably still twins out there that don't even know about each other. At least four individuals is what one of the research assistants said, which, um, and they said too, that Eddie was not the only suicide. No, there, there was another out of, um, I believe it was David said after, you know, contacting and speaking with some of these other twins that were a victim of this study. I think there were eight sets that, there was another suicide, and that's that is more than a coincidence. Yeah, how is any of this worth it? Knowing that this is what happened to these people once they found out, and once they, and even too, they had said before they even knew when they were kids, they would bang their heads on the walls, they cried, and I mean, separation anxiety from your. I mean, I'm not a twin, but I can only imagine being a twin, like you know they talk about you know twin telepathy and how you know you can feel when the other one's feeling upset or scared or angry and kind of have that you know that twin you know you kind of know each other on a more 
deeper level than you would with a normal sibling. They talk about how all three of them were probably in a crib together. And this made me so sad. The, you know, all, all of a sudden being separated and not feeling the warmth or the presence of your twin or your triplet next to you anymore. It's mm-hmm. total separation anxiety. Just like being, you know, think of like a, a pet being away from their owner for, yeah. you know, if they spend every day with them for the first six months of their life, they're going to freak out if that person isn't around them anymore. And I can only assume that it is a fear or something that other uh, people who are adopted think about, that they don't know a lot about their birth parents, so they're not going to know, um, you know, health background too. But these kids... All of these twins had, they, these people knew that their parents had some sort of mental disorder or mental issue, and they could have very easily told them about it, and they did nothing to kind of let nature run its course in a way which is so sinister because if you think about like for for I think about me for example my grandmother and my mother have both been diagnosed with breast cancer my grandmother at 51 my mom at 50 I am one of four daughters knowing that I'm going to think about things a little bit differently Mm -hmm. in my perspective of my health and of course you know adopted kids or people who don't know Um, one of their birth parents aren't going to know all of the details, but it's a little bit cruel to keep that information. It's more than cruel to keep that information from somebody if, from a child, if, if they know about it, if somebody knows about it and to test these parents, I'm not a parent. Jamie's about to be a parent. She's (laughs) well, she's a parent already. She's, her baby is just not in her arms yet. No, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, parenting is so serious to think that, you know, parents are going to screw up. So, you know, they're not going to do everything perfect. But to have your parenting documented and questioned by, you know, researchers and now the public is, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Like, I mean, they already, I'm sure, struggle enough knowing that their son died and there's something that they could have done. But for all these people to be judging them in a way is awful. And David says at the end, too, that uh, he was trying to find out more information. He wanted access to the documents, and they were sealed until 2066, meaning that the the people behind this study didn't want anyone who was a part of it to find anything out until after that. Well, obviously... They wouldn't find out if they had died, but they didn't want it to be public knowledge until after they had all passed or most of them had passed. And that is just so like, where's, I was so frustrated because I I thought the whole time, is this not incredibly illegal? Like, is this not how, I mean, the parents, the birth parents didn't know, the adoptive parents didn't know. I mean, I think it's weird enough that they were just part of an adopted kids study, but they obviously didn't know the deeper study that was being done. But how is this not, how are the people who are behind this not in prison? I mean, and Natasha Josephowitz, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't pronounce it. I'm so sorry. She was a research assistant behind this study. And um, again, she also wasn't involved for very long and she left 
well before it ended, so she didn't really know anything else about it. But she had mentioned something about how it was such a huge scientific breakthrough to have something like this. You know, this was around the time, you know, where Freud's findings were were kind of coming out and gaining a lot of speed in the public eye. Yeah. And so they were like, this, you know, was such a huge deal at the time. And at what cost, you know, is this at what cost is doing this to these people, these kids, these parents over decades? You know, where where is the line drawn when it comes to to learning more about the human mind? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just so frustrating. It's fascinating. You know, I found myself after watching this documentary being very intrigued, but also very upset. And uh, and it does bring the question nature versus nurture. How much of who we are is who we inherently are and how much of, of it is from our parents. Mm-hmm. And I personally think, you know, it goes both ways. But from watching this documentary, you learn that your entire life can change just by who your parents are, mm-hmm. your economic upbringing, uh, your siblings, where you lived, where you go to school, uh, who your friends are. And it, yeah, they make you question everything. You know, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording that you know, we as humans like to think that we have so much control over who we are, who we are, our, our interests, our interests, our emotions, our personality. Um, you know, we think about the mind, like we we think that we have so much control over it. People suffer from mental disorders that they can't, uh, you know, choose or or cope on their own you know these chemical or hormonal imbalances that go on in the brain but aside from that your brain structure and what makes you um like a certain food or Mm -hmm. they say they all smoke the same brand of cigarettes what makes them like older women you know some things you can pinpoint to your upbringing or exposure but then there's these other things where you think, try as you might, that is just the way that you are. And it's terrifying in a yeah. way because it's like our whole life. In a, we think, if you if you believe in this, this, uh, this nature part of it, how it determines so much of our life, it's the moment that we are conceived, our, in a way, our whole life is kind of planned out for us. Yeah. And how much is nurture and our parents and our upbringing and exposure going to change parts of that? How, you know, dramatic are, can these differences really be? And if you think of it in a more broader context, and uh, I, I obviously don't want to compare these these triplets to, like, serial killers, but, you know, when you think about these big serial killers, like, why they are the way they are, and, you know, going back to our very first episode, Ted Bundy, like, his life and not knowing who his father was, finding out he was a bastard, his mother moved him around, you know, would he be who he became had he had a normal life? And um, and then there are some serial killers who had great families mm-hmm. and still ended up crazy, you know? <laughs> like, it's it's hard to pinpoint, you know? And there's a lot of us who want to think, you know, there's this plan for us, and maybe there is, but maybe it's on a deeper level than, you know, a, on a spiritual level. Maybe it's a biological level. You know, we have these plans and then everything else is up to chance. It's it's kind of scary when you think about it, um, which well, is why you 
you shouldn't think about it too long. Right. <laughs> because then you just start to get into your own head. Well, I think about too, you know, um, ancestry DNA and all of mm-hmm. these DNA testing sites, um, you know, they're, they're compiling so much information. Then you have to think, gosh, you know, is there going to be implications with this? And certainly there, there are. There are some people who are terrified of that type of thing. To me, my personal opinion is, you know, they say um, there are some independent DNA websites or I don't, I don't know what you call them, but they have used other people's DNA to link them to like a cold case. You know, they say, oh, we found this DNA. It sort of matches this person's DNA who put it on Ancestry.com and it helped us lead to uh, to finding the killer. I think that's how they found the, uh, the killer in California. Um, I can't remember his pen name, but he was a very notorious killer in the 80s in California. And they found it because one of his relatives had submitted his DNA to one of these DNA sites. They were able to track him down, which is crazy. But then you have to think, okay, if there are so much, there's so much, um, you know, these mental illnesses are heritable, uh, is the government going to say, oh, sorry, you have a mental illness, you can't reproduce children? Or or, um, are we going to be trained or are we going to learn enough or be able to have some sort of pull over those types of things, you know? Um, obviously Eddie met an untimely death as the result of, you know, whatever it is, his, his brothers have the same, that's, that's kind of the whole thing. The whole part of this movie is their brothers have the same DNA, but they lived. And is there a way for us to pinpoint as like what in our lives makes us turn certain directions and potentially go that same way mm-hmm. it's and crazy I don't, I don't think about it just in suicide I think about it in things as minute as you know making the soccer team at yeah. school or becoming valedictorian or um, a big thing is people in the LGBT community coming out to their parents you know is that is that heritable um, would some people name it as heritable because you know for the longest time, it was seen as a mental disorder. There's so many implications with things like this. And I think twin studies are fascinating. All of this DNA, there's so much research research coming out on, um, you know, different DNA markers for diseases. And it's just, I haven't stopped thinking about this since I watched it and making me, it's made me question so many things and made me, oh, I feel so sad so sad watching it it made me sad too in the end there's you know some title cards that basically after all of the events of the documentary came out the adoption agency did release some of the research but it was heavily redacted um to save the privacy of you know other people in the study um so i don't really know how much closure or how much more information that Bobby and David got from this documentary or from the research, but, uh, it left me not with like a bunch of questions. It just really made me more angry. I mean, and I agree, you know, I find this stuff very fascinating too, but you know, again, one at what cost and two, if you're going to do things like this, there has to be some sort of consent, but at the same time, if there's consent, they wouldn't have been able to get this, you know, raw, control data yeah and so it's psychology's hard (laughs) there's no and there's no way for us 
in, I mean, we conduct experiments, humans conduct experiments like this with things like monkeys. Like there is the study about the, uh, the monkey who has to, you know, get their nutrients from a real mama monkey. And then there's another one where yeah. they get it from like a, like a cloth monkey. A, or something. A, yeah. A wire monkey covered in fur or whatever. And, you know, they cling to that. They imprint on that the same way obviously humans are so much more complex than you know apes and whatnot but um there's got to be a moral line when it comes to messing with people's lives like this Mm -hmm. i the research i mean there are so many things that um we'd be able to research if we could you know just inoculate a person with hiv you know willingly but nobody would agree to that and i don't i can't mm-hmm. imagine anybody would like you said agree to this and get a sufficient raw data to right. really really go over the on a similar note too like with pregnancy there's so many things that they don't know about pregnancy because who would be willing to do that to their unborn baby like as far as you know there's a lot of people who say you know how much can you drink when you're pregnant you know mm-hmm. one glass of wine a day is fine or some people say none at all but like who's actually going to do that and study and you know drink copious amounts of alcohol while they're pregnant and find out what's going to happen to their baby you know mm-hmm. where is the line cut off nobody's going to do that they can only find participants who have i guess willingly done it and don't care and then are uh willing to allow somebody to study their their child or their fetus and it this type of thing it just you know to us it seems so obvious what you would do but maybe to others they don't care about the implications you know I felt like Natasha Josephowitz who has become a very uh, famous and well-known researcher she in the documentary shows photos of her with people like Obama and other researchers and you know some people think that you know it may be for the greater good and that's the scariest part I think well one of the scariest parts about this is mm-hmm. um you know what could they find in in me or you know my future child that they would say sorry this has got to be for the greater good right it's crazy implications and it's just a horribly sad story and every level of it gets more evil and sinister in a way and it's but I haven't like I said I have not stopped thinking about it it's just it's fascinating it goes it opens up this whole wormhole about these things and with you know technology changing you know it's been pretty much 40 years about since these since these brothers met each other so many things have changed since then Mm -hmm. and you know there's only gonna be more that we discover about about things like this and I really hope that there is nothing else like this going on yeah that we don't know about hopefully let's get into our review of this documentary I think I think I'm gonna give this one four out of five um I thought the story was very well told I liked the different perspectives from not just the two surviving brothers and their wives and their parents but also 
uh, you know, some of the journalists that wrote these stories did a little bit more research. Some of the people even behind the study, I think the original, the guy who created the study died in 2008. So there's no way we can really know everything. But um, I did like all the different perspectives. And, you know, I wouldn't say it's a satisfying ending. You're angry at the end when you watch this. But it, it does kind of wrap up the story in a nice way where you feel like you you learned everything that you can know. I mean, there's only so much that even, you know, Bobby and David themselves could find out by the end. So I thought that it was well told. It's a captivating story. It starts off so fun and lighthearted and they have these like fun songs playing and then it gets really dark in the second half and sad and frustrating. But, you know, it's a great documentary. It tells a, a very I wouldn't say a good story, but a great story that I didn't know before and found it very fascinating. And I would definitely recommend it to any of our travelers who might be more into the, the like psychological side of, of their um, healthcare profession or interested in learning about that or anybody at all. This is a very, very interesting documentary worth the watch might make you cry, but, uh, it's definitely definitely worth the time and I'd only say I wouldn't give it a five out of five just because I was so upset by it by what I learned but um but as far as like storytelling how it was directed I thought they did a very good job I am actually going to give this documentary a 4.5 out of five which I think is probably the highest rating I've given thus far actually you did give a five out of five to Marvelous Mrs. Maisel oh yeah but aside from that yeah definitely the top one yes I, um, my background in undergrad was biology, so I've done tons of research and, and taken classes on, um, you know, genetics and all the different aspects of that. And I was completely captivated by the story in that it really makes you wonder what parts of your identity are reality or what you know, what, what do we have choice in, in our lives? There's so many things you think about, okay, I am the way that I am because of this, or is it because of this reason? Maybe you can think about, um, specific events that happened during your life that shape you to be one certain way. And it really broaches this topic and makes you think, okay, uh, what, what do I have control over in my life? Which is a, a terribly scary thing we think about like the you know we reviewed the matrix right is that real or is it not and it kind of makes it it makes you question your reality and I can only imagine as a parent especially a parent of an adopted child or a parent of a child who has had any sort of struggle in their life Mm -hmm. uh you know mentally or emotionally you know you have to think am I doing everything that I could have done to you know, make my child's life, you know, easier or um, happier or taught them the skills on how to cope. And I just, I can't get over this. And I'm hopeful and anxious that the uh, the board at Louise Weiser Jewish Family Services, I think is what it is now, they, you know, they say in the documentary that they have to submit a written request to get these files. And I know that in 2066, if I'm still alive, I'll be real old. I'll be in my 80s. So hopefully research like this, it, it comes out and I think it can only 
I like to think that it could only better educate us on the human condition and human yeah. behavior. It's and a positive spin. Yes. I mean, I like to think that way. I don't want us to, <laughs> I don't, I don't want anything to uh, go too scientific uh, if we can avoid it. So I'm going to stand by my 4.5 out of 5 and uh, because it also leaves me questioning you know those other twins the other things that have come out there it's it's crazy I loved it I thought it was fabulous so guys if you have had a chance to watch this documentary let us know what you think of it hopefully you didn't listen to this whole thing before you watched it because (laughs) it's definitely an experience if you don't know what's coming but uh, uh, definitely let us know what you think next week we are going back to old Ted Bundy the, uh, like we had talked about in our first episode, the Netflix special with Zac Efron, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, came out on Netflix yesterday. By the time you hear this, on May 4th, it will have come out the day before May 3rd. We'll be talking about that one next week as we did watch the docuseries on Ted Bundy in our very first episode. So kind of to close out that whole story, we will review the movie. And after that, we have a couple of surprises, so make sure you guys keep listening. As always, let us know if there's anything you guys want us to talk about, any shows, movies, more documentaries. I would love to do more of those since we uh, have only done two so far, Um, but give us some ideas. We're always open to your guys' ideas. And again, thank you everybody so much for, for listening and for contributing to our show. We appreciate it. Until then, we will see you next time. Bye.